Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. very pleased to have on the first episode of Testimony a lovely couple Graham and Cherie Hewitson. How are you both doing? Yeah, doing fine, thanks. Doing great, thanks Dan. Good, Good. to talk to you again. The first time I met the two of you, um, you were a family of five. You had three children, Josh, Aaron and Hannah. And I would never have thought that there was such heartache behind your story. And so... Hearing about it and knowing about it now, I thought it was quite a nice thing to share with people who maybe they've gone through similar experiences and they haven't shared it with friends and family and they don't think that other people go through a similar thing. And, and knowing that you're comfortable talking about it and sharing it, I thought it would be a help to others. Um, so we'll, we'll have a little chat about that. Perhaps we'll start with Cherie. Perhaps you could just explain about your home life growing up, the family you're from and any part of that. Christianity and faith played in that, please. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was brought up down in Prestwick um, in a loving, caring family. Um, big extended family as well, lots of aunties and uncles. And we're always a very close family. Um, my mum and dad, they went to a wee gospel hall down in Prestwick, um, which I then got taken along to. Um, and yeah, absolutely loved going along to church and we just always had such a, it was a wee gospel hall and it was just, had lots of young people in it, um, so lots of company and everything, so it was really good. I um, always enjoyed it in Sunday school and Bible class and, you know, so it was, it was a really good social life as well. Um, and I suppose when, when I turned seven, then that's when I started to find out, you know, listening to the church. Um, and just finding out more about God and I just realised the need that I had to have Jesus in my life um, and although I was only seven I just I knew myself that that was something someone that I needed in my life so just at a, a young age then that's when I decided to ask the Lord Jesus into my life um, which was just you know it was the best decision that I ever made I was just so happy and um, it was quite I was so excited going to school and telling everybody, but they weren't just enthusiastic about it. <laughs> so, but I was always just, I always get kind of made a fool of at school, but when it came to going to church, I just loved it. It was just always really good. Um, and yet my mum and dad, and then I've, had, I've got two brothers, um, an older brother, Phil, and a younger brother, Stephen. So yeah, we're just a really close family. Um, Things got quite difficult when I was about 11. Uh, between 11 and 12, um, my parents split up. Yeah. Um, that was that was quite a traumatic time. So for the next few years, it was quite a, 
quite a difficult time in my life, um, just with different issues and just coming to terms with all that. Um, and I suppose for me then, my Christian life, you know, I had such good support and things within the church and with my friends in the church. So they were a tremendous help for me to help me through those difficult times. Um, I couldn't, I had a lot of kind of battles as well, you know, just understanding where, how God allows things to happen. Um, but, and I suppose because I would always be praying that my family would get back together and then it didn't happen, then I suppose there was a lot of questions surrounding that as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so there was a lot of kind of ups and downs. It was quite a roller coaster. Um, but, yeah, I was very much loved and with a, such a, a lovely big family. Lots of support round about us, which was great. That's, thank you, Sheree. That's great. And what about yourself, Graham? Similar? Uh, similar in, in, in a lot of ways, apart from the size of the family. Uh, we were a very small family. Um, and uh, I went to Limbo Gospel Hall um, from when I was two weeks old. Uh, I'm now 47, 48. Oh dear, 48. Getting on. And I've been in the Limbo Gospel Hall my entire life. Um, but growing up, it was only myself and my big brother, Jeff. We were the only young people. So uh, unlike Sheree, we didn't have a lot of, um, kind of Christian company of age early on. Um, it really was back to 1955, way before I was born, when Billy Graham came to, to Glasgow and my gran became a Christian um, and uh, and so did her brother actually the same night. My gran became a Christian listening to Billy Graham on the radio and her brother Archie, he had actually went along to hear him at the Kelvin Hall and they both became Christians on the same night, uh, which was uh, the first time Christianity came into my you know family. Okay. Uh, my grand had a tough time. Her husband then left her as a result of that. Uh, he didn't want anything to do with God. And she was left to bring up my mum uh, and her little brother Cliff uh, as a single mum. Um, so they they basically were very strong Christians. My father was from a, quite a wild background. He ran with a lot of gangs in Govan and has got quite a remarkable story uh, of how he came to find faith in God. Um, so they were both... Christians before uh, uh, they met each other and then they, they obviously went on get married and had my brother and I and we just grew up in a small Christian family. Um, very close, I mean, my, my gran and my uncle Cliff and the four of us were, were uh, a, a very close-knit family. With great sadness, we lost my uncle Cliff earlier this year with, with COVID. He was the first uh, person in RH in Paisley to actually die with coronavirus. So that was a really tough uh, thing for all of us because we're all very close to him. But... Um, he, along with my parents, had instilled, you know, a lot of faith into our lives when we were young, and prayed for us and so on. I, I became a Christian when I was only nine years old, and uh, from there, I, one of the desires I've had in my heart, I think, since, you know, uh, I became a, a teenager was just, I think Sunday school was a big part of my life, and I felt really um, at home teaching younger kids, and then. As I got older, you know, teaching in Sunday school, running summer youth camps and and just trying to, um, you know, find any gift I could within teaching young folk uh, about the Bible. I, and I work as a graphic designer at the time uh, and I started illustrating Bible stories. So for, for several years, I, my job was all based around about, you know, Bible as well. So faith is a, a huge part of my life. And although, you know, 
we all make mistakes in our life, as I've made plenty of them. Um, I've always found God to be there throughout my whole life, and He never ever lets us down. So, yeah, I met Cherie actually through <laughs> through our, our uh, shared love of uh, summer youth camps. Um, um, our brother Phil was uh, best friends of mine uh, that we met uh, teaching kids at camp, and uh, yeah, his little sister uh, <laughs> later on became my wife. <laughs> Well, that, that, that removes the next question as to how did you two meet, so that's helpful. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you yeah, moved... Sorry, sure I was going to say, I've known Cherise since she was about 12, but I have to clarify, there was no romantic interest for quite a good few years after that. <laughs> so when, I, when I'm new year, you were kind of moving towards the photography side of things. And since that time, you've gone on to win an awful lot of awards and accolades. Now, I'm not saying I deserve any of the credit but that's surely not just a coincidence. <laughs> that's absolutely true. I know that you and Dan have got a shared love of photography and you know? we've got so much in common. <laughs> yeah, but you've left me yeah. way behind, way behind. <laughs> I think uh, the, be, being a graphic designer and having, I've always loved photography, um, but uh, and working in photography, I think, is something, you know, from my side, having an artistic background has, has helped me to, to go on and, you know, be very, very blessed. I won the... You'll tell from a Scottish accent. I'm from north of the border, but I've, I've been blessed to win the Scottish Master of Photography of the Year for the last two years. And, you know, um, I think I've won over 200 awards, you know, in all different fields of photography. So, yeah, I love my job. Really enjoy it. And, uh, well, as someone once said to me, I'm, and, you know, your creative heart's a reflection of your creator. You know, so any gifts or abilities we've got, they come from above. So you have to always remain as humble as you can and remember that <laughs> the credit should go elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. So... I think a job you, you really enjoy. So the two of you marry in 1999 and two years later you have Josh who comes along. I'm, I've done my research. <laughs> so you become parents for the first time. That must be an incredible experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely amazing. It really was. I used to, I worked in the baby room of a nursery. Um, after, once I graduated from college, then I, I worked in the baby room. Um, and I absolutely loved that. And everybody, you know, would, at the nursery would always, a lot of people would be saying to me that, um, oh, looking after one child would be so much easier than looking after all the children there. But what a, what a change it was, you know, not, in the nursery, you don't have the same emotional attachment and everything. So having your own little baby it was a complete difference, a complete <laughs> change and shock to the system. Yeah, I bet. Absolutely amazing, but difficult as well. Um, we Josh had a lot of, he had colic when he was a baby. Okay. So it, it's really quite difficult for the first kind of 17, 18 weeks, um, just with a lot of pain and everything. So... It was quite challenging, you know, just um, just having this wee guy that would just cry a lot all through the day. It was it was quite tough going, so kind of get flung in at the deep end. <laughs> but absolutely amazing. The once you get settled in and everything, just an absolute delight. Just lovely. And then shortly afterward, you experience your first miscarriage. I wonder if you could just explain the kind of build up to that event and in particular how your faith was affected during that and afterwards. Yep. Yeah, we had, Josh was born in the June, the middle of June, and it was actually in October of the same year that um, we'd went away on a wee holiday. 
and during that wee holiday I discovered I was pregnant again. Um, absolutely over the moon, we're so excited and just really, really happy and just couldn't believe that Josh was going to be a big brother and there was, because I always, we always just wanted a big family and just uh, absolutely love children. Um, so I was so delighted to find out I was pregnant again. A wee bit nervous though, because my mum actually had had a miscarriage um, in between myself and my big brother. So I suppose I was a wee bit nervous in case that kind of thing would happen. But, you know, I was just so excited though. Um, but then, unfortunately, when it came to December, um, we went in for a scan because I had a wee bit of bleeding and went in for the scan and it turned out that we'd actually lost the baby. So it was just kind of world was turned upside down at that point. Um, I went into the hospital to have an operation just a day or two after that and just really quite just upset and just going in and one of the midwives was asking me if I had other children and I said yeah I've got, uh, I've got an older boy and he was born in June and she turned around and said oh well this wasn't exactly a planned pregnancy then was it and it just cut me to the bone you know because I just this it was such a loved and longed for a wee baby, you know, so yeah. it was just, um, so it was a really traumatic time and, you know, you, you kind of, you come out of the hospital just feeling so empty and just lost. Um, and even though we had Josh, obviously he was always a help um, in that situation, but it still was another wee longed for baby that we had, you know, we're really looking forward to welcoming into our family. So it was really quite traumatic. Um, and again, you sort of question God and everything, but um, yeah, it was just it was. Yeah, I think whenever difficult. you you're kind of newly married, and you know, perhaps yeah, you can be sometimes a bit naive, and uh, you just take it for granted that everything's going to be, you know, straightforward and simple. And you know, you, you obviously when we when Josh was born, each time we went in, you know, to the hostel for checkups and scans. You were walking past a special care baby unit and you never really gave it much thought whatsoever. Yeah. And it wasn't until you ended up you know, in a situation like this that you realised that, you know, things don't always go to, to plan the way that we <laughs> that we would like. Uh, and I always remember going in to see Shuri after her operation and just seeing how devastated she looked, you know, just uh, in a ward and there was the other girls that had babies and she was left uh, you know, just feeling so empty and things. It's... It was difficult to watch as a as a husband, you know. But yeah, I w I wonder if this question would be better asked later on. But I'll ask it now. You can always answer it again later. Do you think it affected you both differently at the time? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah we're happy to answer that just now. Yeah, I mean, because what what I am, um, as you know, happened next. Uh, we discovered, you know, kind of next year that we were expecting again. Um, and we went along for the scans, and uh, as it turned out, we were expecting twins, and uh, which was incredible news. And uh, a lots of people were saying to us, you know, um, it's just maybe the way things are. Maybe you didn't get your little uh, baby last time round, but God's going to now give you two and make up for it. And um, and you know that that was that was so exciting. And you know, um, and as your listeners will obviously find out shortly, we had another miscarriage after the twins. Had been born as well, so there was a, a a very very traumatic time, and it did affect us both differently. Um, we can talk more about that shortly, but uh, how we handled things 
you know, uh, I think a, a man and a woman, the relationship, both, you, you come with a different set of emotions. Uh, and, you know, for for the guy, you always try and be strong and be brave and, you know, but uh, there's things that are out with your control. And I, I, I did struggle with, you know, with, with some of those issues. Um, and Sinead, you had your own set of yeah, troubles also, to deal with. When I'm obviously the one that's physically going through the, these kind of things as well. And, and I suppose there's the guilt that I wasn't able to, you know, to keep the baby. And, yeah. um, you know, but not nothing you can do about it. Um, but you're still, you can't help but feel guilty. Um, and maybe I could have done something differently or maybe I shouldn't have done something or, you know, there's so many different questions that I suppose, you know, that are, that come along with it just because I'm the one that's physically having, the physically carrying the babies and things. Um, so yeah, definitely, we both certainly have dealt with things differently. I have a couple of questions which I'll maybe save till after we discuss the next um event so 18 years ago on the 29th of august 2002 uh, nathan and samuel were born at uh, 25 weeks early um nathan i thought i think i'm right in saying passed away the next day and samuel survived for six weeks is that correct it was yeah. the other way around ah yeah, sorry the other way around yeah they were born at, at 25 weeks they were born um and yeah, Samuel was almost two days when he passed away. Um, he hemorrhaged into his wee brain and in his lungs. Um, and then six and a half weeks later, it was Nathan that okay. passed away. Yeah. So was there any major reason why they were born early, do you know? Like, kind of what was the build-up to that arrival early and the, the events of the weeks after? Because those six weeks must have been a real mixture of joy and sadness and hope and everything yeah. goes it's, with it's it. It's a common thing, you know, as we discovered for, for twins to be premature. Um, and uh, there was no kind of real indications or signs. Um, the day they were actually born on the, in the 29th of August, I had a, a very busy day at work. Um, and it was a huge uh, photography exhibition thing that was setting up that day. Um, and it was one of the biggest days of my career. Uh, and I, I probably finished about 10 o'clock at night. It was a very long day. And come back home and she wasn't feeling very well. Um, and I said, why don't go for a bath or, you know, and I, <laughs> as it turned out. Here's a man's bit of advice for you. Just go for a <laughs> yeah, bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't expecting, uh, you know, the events that were going to happen over the next 24 hours at all. Um, but, you know, we decided you know, to go up to the hospital just to, to you know, just to get on the safe side and get a check-up, and when we arrived at the hospital, she was taken in, and uh, the doctors had checked and said, no, you're actually going to give birth very shortly. You know, there's nothing we can do to stop your twins being born. It's far too early, but, you know, it's going to happen. Um, and basically, we had a, a very, very um, stressful, you know, a next hour or two. Uh, yeah, because yeah, we got into hospital just about midnight, um, and when we went in, they said to us, look, if your babies, if you're having the babies, it's you'll have to move to a different hospital because we don't really have space here. And when they checked me, they said I was actually nine centimetres dilated, so they were going to be born imminently. And sure enough, within just within an hour, they were born. 
<laughs> so it was very, very, I've no idea what on earth they've done in the special care to be able to make space for them, but they mm. obviously had to do something, so. So was the diagnosis straight away that there was a low chance of survival or were you optimistic that both could and would survive at the time? It was a very low chance. Um, the I think at 25 weeks, it's just that it's a kind of, I suppose it's just a very borderline stage um, at that stage. It was, and I think with it being twins and with it being boys, then that as well just makes it a, a less chance of survival as well for some reason. Um, so it was, um, so yeah, so I think we we're given probably it was a 30% chance of survival, I think, yeah. at that point. Um, and it was just a waiting game. So just had to see how, how they mm. were. So at quarter past one in the morning, um, we Nathan was born. And then at 29 minutes past one, then Samuel was born. Um, so Nathan was two pounds and Samuel was one pound 15. So they both just get taken straight away into the special care um, and just all get, but we Nathan actually were able to deliver him onto my tummy. And as soon as he was born, you know, it was just, it was incredible to see such a perfect little human being, absolutely perfect in every way, just so tiny. And it was his wee ears that I just couldn't get away with. They were so intricate and perfect. It was just unbelievable. It's a, a thing I'll just never, ever forget. Just yeah. incredible. And he had a wee cry, didn't he, when he was lying on the chest? And, mm -hmm. You know, so she had a wee bit of time with him. Then the doctor took him away. Um, and I say, he looked perfect. He was just the size of an action man. You couldn't believe how small he was. But um, And then very shortly afterwards, Samuel was born as well. In fact, he was born still in his little bubble. Okay. Which was, you know, just fearfully and wonderfully made. You just seen this little human life, um, but they took him, you know, kind of pretty much straight away to get him onto his oxygen and um, start to work on him. Um, from there, I then had to leave the kind of the delivery ward and go and sit in a waiting room while they had to work on Sheree. And as I found out later on, her life was actually very much in danger as well. Okay. Um, so I was left in my own. Um, <laughs> sitting in a waiting room just waiting just for whatever news I could and I was there for it felt like an eternity uh, I was kind of in shock this was the early hours of the morning and um, I remember there was a TV in the room and there was a game of baseball on I've never seen a game of baseball in my life but you're just sitting there, you know, anything to distract you space you know and uh, another new dad come through and said yeah excuse me mate what's the score and I said <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, there was other things that were a little bit more important than even sport at that point. Um, so yeah, it was it was very traumatic. And but after um, after a couple of hours, the, the nurse came and got me, and um, she she brought me down to properly meet my sons. Uh, and there they were. We were, you know, amazed at the the amount of machines there were all round about. I think Shiri's body been keeping these little fellows alive. You know this, and then. You seen the amount of machinery that was involved to do the same job, you know, six or seven machines. There was monitors everywhere and cables and wires, and these two tiny little lives were lying uh, an incubator each, covered in bubble wrap um, and so tiny. But you know, you were you were actually quite optimistic when you seen them there. They looked uh, they looked <laughs> as healthy as you could imagine, you know. But as I said, just so small. Uh, the nurse did then take me to the side and just. 
explained to me, you know, what the odds were. And as she said, you know, 25 to 30% was the chance they had to live. And also the fact that they were boys wasn't in their favour. Okay. Um, said that little girls can actually fight better than the boys. Um, but yeah, there was other babies in the ward. Um, and as you looked around about the other incubators, you realised that you weren't alone. You know, there was there's other couples who were going through the exact same thing. So do you think those those weeks that you had were they were they times when you really felt your faith tested or did you feel really helped during that? Is that a, a period of your life where you could really see God helping and providing for you? I think the, there's there's both sides of it. Um, as it happened, I, we were moving house. You know, we, we bought the house that we're in just now um, because we needed a bigger house. Um, so literally, we were due to move on the 30th of August, which was the following day. Um, so the boys were born, you know, uh, in the early hours of the morning on the 29th, and then we were moving house on the 30th. Um, so Shiri obviously stayed in hospital. I had to come away from hospital to, to help with the removal. And uh, when we... When we were just literally unloading the last boxes into a new home, I got a phone call from Shiri's dad, and he said, "Graham, can you come to the hospital? And you better come quick, son. You know." So, um, we jumped in the car and raced up as fast as I could, you know, to the the hospital. Um, still within the speed limit. Got <laughs> <laughs> to the hospital, and you knew that something was going to go wrong, you know. And um, when when I got into the, uh, you know, I ran up. There's a steep hill, the, the, the maternity to Paisley, and I ran all the way up the hill and up a couple of flights of stairs to special care. Uh, and when I came in, I could see, you know, from everyone's expression that things weren't good. Uh, we went through to see the doctor, and and the doctor said it's Samuel. Um, he is really struggling, and uh, said so we have to tell you that he's dying. He's not going to survive. Uh, and to be told something like that as a parent, you know, you're in shell shock there's, yeah. there's no other word for it and you know you've got a faith you know that that baby you know there's teaching in the bible that baby's going to be safe as soon as it closes its eyes on earth it's going to open its eyes in heaven uh, so you know that side of it's taken care of but it just felt like your whole world had just shattered you know you, you just felt this all your hopes and dreams and and everything and also you know because it was a twin it was that awful thing of just knowing that his brother was going to be without him too. You know, not just us, but uh, his twin brother uh, was going to be uh, without his twin. That was a horrible thing. So I think your, your faith it did take a real hit. And with the events that happened over the next few weeks, I think your, te your, your faith was, was tested <laughs> as much as you could have coped with. Yeah. Samuel did die. We we, we basically had a time where the family were allowed to come in and see him, uh, and then they they asked the family to leave. So just Sharina and, and little Samuel, uh, they disconnected all the machines, and then they had, the first time I got to home, my little son was the the, the last time as well. You know? oh, right. So I gave him a little cuddle for a while, and then handed him over to Sharina. You know where he, he just he passed away in her arms. You know, and he fought for quite a while. You know, he he, he stayed with us for. For quite a little while after the machines were disconnected, um, but then you knew he was gone. The doctor listened to him, and and she said, "No, I don't, I don't hear anything now. He's he's passed away." So, yeah, 
hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah, so. I bet. And then with Nathan several weeks later, was that as much of a shock or was there a similar build-up to those events? It was probably more of a shock, actually, because um, he actually, well, the night that Samuel died, the the doctors told us just to go back home and just try and get a wee bit of a sleep and a wee rest and come back in the next day. Um, but as we were about to walk out, they came back and told us not to go because Nathan had taken a turn for the worse. Yeah. So, again, it was just, oh, here we go again. It was just, we couldn't believe it. Um, so we stayed at the hospital. But actually, he pulled through it and he was doing really well. Um, and actually, as the weeks were going on, we were going in to see him all the time. And um, just been, it was great just being able to get a wee, we got our first hold of him um, just at Sam, just after Samuel's funeral. We went in and the, the nurse was like, I think maybe mummy and daddy are needing a wee bit of a cheer up. So come on and give your mum and dad a cuddle. So that was the first time we got a wee cuddle was just after Samuel's funeral. So that was a really special day. Um, so yeah, just as, a, as the weeks were going on, he was doing really well. There were kind of ups and downs where he would be taking maybe six mils of milk and then all of a sudden they had to drop it down to three or, you know, they, it was kind of up and down a wee bit. But generally speaking, it was all heading in the right direction. Everything was going well. Um, he then got taken off the ventilator and got put onto the CPAP machine, which just kept a wee flow of oxygen. Yeah. Um, in, in the lungs um, so he was doing all, all the breathing himself but just gets a wee help so he was doing great then that got taken off so he only just had his feeding tube so he was doing absolutely fantastic he got up to £3.1 so <laughs> and although it was still so tiny for us it was just a massive milestone mm -hmm. it was yeah. so exciting and messaging the family all the time just giving them all the updates and um, and yes yeah, so we actually we'd went to our bed that night and we're just like we could never imagine getting that phone call anymore that anything was you know anything was wrong with Nathan and six o'clock in the morning we got that phone call it was just it mm. was crazy and that was them just phoning to tell us that he's taken a turn for the worse um, he's got a, an infection in the gut which is it's neck for short is what they call it it's quite common within premature babies um, so we were told just to come up. So we went up to visit him and we just sat with him for the whole day. His whole wee tummy was in quite a bad way. Um, he was getting constant scans and everything throughout the day. Um, so it was just such a shock. You know, we just, from going from saying that we could never imagine getting that phone call to just a few hours later actually getting it, it was just as if it was just an, an overnight switch. Um, so yeah, but at that night we get told that we had a choice to make. We could either, the only chance of survival is if he gets an operation, but he would have to get moved over to the Queen Mums, Queen Mothers over in Glasgow. Um, but they didn't know if he would survive the journey and okay. he wasn't strong enough at that stage to go through the operation, but they had to if he had any chance of survival, that was it. We had to move him across there. Um, and then just once he's fit enough, then he could let him go through the operation. So we had to make that decision whether we were going to, you know, just let him be where he was in Paisley um, and just see what happens with him or give him the chance to see if we can get the operation. 
So we had a lot of a lot of talking about it and praying about it, and we decided just to give him that chance. He'd fought so hard. Yeah. We thought it's only fair for him to get that chance to to make it. So so we were told just to that the ambulance would take Nathan across to the hospital, and we were just to wait for about half an hour and then head over. We weren't to follow it just in case they had to pull over or whatever. Yeah. So he did survive, and um, survived the journey, which they weren't sure if he would, um, but he did, and he got him settled into the hospital across in the Queen Mother's. Um, so we went in to see him, and we got to stay there overnight as well. But just about five o'clock in the morning, they knocked on our door, and he just said that it just wasn't going to work. He just, he just couldn't fight it anymore. So he said that he was just going to have to. They were just going to let him have a wee bit of time with us and we could just hold him as he was going to pass away again. So. Yeah. So yeah, it was tough. The, the, um, the day before, you know, the, the Friday, it looked really good. Um, and one of the one of the members of staff, Karen, at the, the staff were fantastic at the hospital. She had grown very attached to, to Nathan um, and she would, you know, she was like taking lots of Polaroid photographs at four o'clock in the morning and things with his eyes wide open and Say, look, mum and dad, no ventilators and things, you know. Um, so she left work on a Friday night and, you know, he looked great. And then everything went wrong over the Saturday. He looked dreadful. You know, we went in to see him the Saturday morning. Couldn't believe how ill he looked. And, and then he, he passed away on the Sunday. And Karen came back into work on the Monday to find a, an empty incubator. Uh, and I think it had, a, it had such a profound effect on her. And even told... So this day she she still stays in touch with Sheree and contacts a lot and they send each other Christmas cards and letters and you know it's lovely to see. But yeah, going across to the, the the kind of hospital was um, in Glasgow was very very tough. And then you think well we've already been through <laughs> the same situation. It was almost like a deja vu. Um, but I think the hardest thing was whenever. Nathan hadn't opened his eyes, you know, for the last couple of days since he turned really ill. And when he disconnected them from these machines and they handed, handed me to him to me first. And as soon as I handed him over, he opened his wee eyes to look at us. And that was just so sad, you know. And the nurse said it was him saying his goodbyes, you know, having his last look at his mum and dad. And But yeah, it was... when you, It was a strange thing happened. Whenever we left the hospital that morning, you know, he kissed him goodbye and, you know, he, he taken away. Um, we got ourselves ready and we left the hospital at six o'clock in the morning. Um, and I don't know if you, if you remember uh, Kelvin Grove Art Galleries in Glasgow. It's my favourite building. Um, we came out of the hospital at six in the morning and it was this incredible fog and mist. Uh, and it was this kind of golden sunrise and it just, it was such a heavenly picture. You know, it was just... It, the whole building was shrouded in mist and all the spires were coming out of the top of it and the, the, the sun was just photographer's dream, didn't have my camera with me. <laughs> but I just remember us thinking, wow, you know, and it was almost, there was this peace in amongst all this trauma that you were facing. I just felt this absolute sense of peace and it was just as almost, as close as you could get to what you imagine heaven to look like. And it was just God saying, look, I've got them. They're fine, you know, they're with me. So... Yeah, it was a very difficult time, but uh, how did that affect our faith? Um, <laughs> I suppose different ways. I never once got angry at God, which is the opposite from Sheree, because Sheree get 
was very angry at God, you know. And um, well, we we spoke that there was a there was a a pastor that lived in the street from a, a, a kind of local church who was really a good friend of ours, and he was he would come to me sometimes and say, "Graham, how are you feeling? You know, I know we're we're all thinking about um, Shireen, we're thinking about your family, but how are you feeling? And just man to man, you know, how, how are you coping with this?" Uh, and it was a real good support for me just to have somebody like that that you could chat to. And I never once felt angry whatsoever against what had happened. I accepted it. I didn't understand it for one second. I still don't understand it. But it never made me angry. And would have she found, you know, that that was something that she she was angry at God. And again, the same the same pastor Trevor. He said, you know what, God's big enough to take it. You shout at God if you want, and you, you tell him exactly how you feel and. You know, he's listening and he cares. He knows why he's done it. Um, so I think our faith was affected. The, the way that affected me, I suppose, the most was there were so many people were praying that Samuel would have pulled through, and he didn't. And then even more so, once the news spread to so many wider people that the, 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 the trial that we're going through, there was so many more people praying for Nathan for a much longer time, you know, that he was going to pull through, and he didn't. And my faith left me thinking, well, what is the point of praying about something that you're so desperate to happen and God never answered the prayer in the way that you wanted answered? That was where I, I think I struggled. And I'll tell you my favourite verse in just a moment or two, but Shereel, Shereel will tell you a little bit more about how she was feeling at that time. Yeah, I I did get angry with God. Um it was, <laughs> I went in a major huff with God. I wouldn't talk to him, wouldn't pray, <laughs> wouldn't read, wouldn't do anything to do. I just didn't want anything to do with God. Um, I think it just affected me because I thought, like, we had, I had a really tough pregnancy with the twins. Um, and actually, it was the third scan before we discovered it was twins that we were having. Um, I had a lot of really heavy bleeding and pain and everything. So it was a really tough pregnancy. Um, and I just felt as if, you know, God was almost taunting me through the whole thing. You know, it was as if, um, oh, you're, you know, I thought we had lost the baby, went into hospital and what happened, and then came back home and bled again. You know, it was just, it was a whole mixture of things that were all going on. And then I had just got to the stage where I thought, you know, this could actually happen, or we babies could actually be born safely and everything would be fine. And then that's when we did have them, and then, so it felt as if it was just, I was just getting to the point of thinking that things were going to be okay when the rug was swept under me again. So I just, I really struggled with it and then I couldn't understand why. Why did I not lose them right at the start when I thought I had lost them? Why let me go through all this heartache and everything? Um, if it, just, it just seemed really unfair. It seemed so cruel. Um, so yeah, it, it was a real struggle. So probably for almost a year, I just didn't want anything to do with God. And uh, it sounds terrible, but if one more t person told me they were praying for me, I, <laughs> <laughs> I quoted a Bible verse to me. I was, well, I was, that brings me up to my next question, because what I was wondering was, for myself, I've no experience of parenthood or anything like that, but, but there'll be many who are going through or will go through similar experiences I wonder, firstly, what what would you advise for them if you could advise something? And also, maybe some do-nots for people who they have family members going through it. What 
what with hindsight wasn't a help. You know, what, what would have been good to do and what was maybe best to avoid? <laughs> Definitely don't say that at least you've got other children or at least, you know, you can have children okay. because those, that really hurts as well. Yeah, you know that you've got, like, we know that we had Josh and he was a tremendous help to us. But, you know, we have now had another, you know, had our other children since then. But, you know, we, I've never, ever met a parent that would ever say, well, I'll give up that child because I've still got the other one. You know, these were individual children to us. So nobody and nothing and no one could ever replace those children. Um, so just because we've got another child didn't mean that it was going to take that place of the heartache that we we're actually going through at the time. Yeah. And we, it's all the things that you know, you know that God is in control and you know that his plan is best and everything. But when you're going through such a traumatic ordeal, getting told that God knows best, doesn't always really help. <laughs> um, the first, it, the first five or six people telling you is maybe a good thing, but after the three hundredth, <laughs> yeah, I think though one of the the biggest things that I would say though is that there aren't any magic words to make things better. Yep. There's yep. there's no magic words to help. There's nothing that you can say that's actually going to take away the pain, but it's actually just knowing that you're there. Just you know, just come and give me a cuddle and that lets me know that you care. You know, and that kind of thing would be far more beneficial, just be there for them. Even if it's a case of standing beside me in silence, that's okay, because that still shows that you care. Rather than trying to find words that are going to help when it could potentially make it worse. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say, yeah. I think, you know, I had no experience of anything like this, you know, beforehand. I would never have been able to sympathise with anybody properly who'd went through any kind of real bereavement because I'd never experienced that in my own life. Um, but now I know that there are different, um, I suppose, skill sets that you have. You've, you've got this experience that you can you can empathise with other people. Um, and as Sheree said, that there's, there's no magic words that you can say to someone. If you know someone that's going through a hard time then it's just a case of knowing that if they know that you are genuinely caring for them, then that's the main thing. Uh, you know, sometimes people, you know, they don't want to be in an awkward situation, so they, they'll almost, you know, ignore the fact that twins ever existed. Uh, and I've even got sometimes good family members would be the same, you know, that they, they wouldn't even talk about them. Um, and when they count our children, they're not mentioned in that number. Uh, <laughs> And that's hard because every now and again you'll get a message from someone who mentions Nathan and Samuel and it means so much to us because they were every every bit as much as our, our children as the other ones are, you know, even though we had them for such a, a short time. Um, when things fell into place for me, I, I mean, obviously she had another miscarriage after the, the, the twins and, you know, we, we thought we were never going to have any other children that we could keep. Uh, how wrong we were, because God did very much bless us later <laughs> on with with Erin uh, when he arrived, and then we, we got a little girl, Hannah, and then there was a huge big gap, and then, yeah, oh, God surprised again with another uh, little lad, Jason, and then she thought, it'd be nice if he had a sibling to grow up with as well, so there's a big age gap. 
so God has been very, very faithful to us. But things fell into place for me. Um, it's actually a, a, an old lady that I know, a godly old woman. And this is the verse, or two verses from Isaiah chapter 55, because I was confused, you know, and uh, it's, it's not hard. But uh, I was confused. I didn't understand what thing. I was trying to hold the family together. We get some great support from our, you know, our church, you know, and lots of family and friends have been an absolute rock for us. Um, but I didn't understand things. And then this old lady gave me a verse. And it's Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. And it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it was just Isaiah basically been told by God, you know, um, I've, I've got this, okay? You don't understand what I'm doing, but I'm doing all these things for a reason. You know, and even... I suppose you look at Lord Jesus when he was in Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He handed over, you know, God's plan to God. Um, and I think with, you know, we won't understand things that we go through in life until we, we finally get to heaven. But just to know that there is a reason for it, uh, you know, is, and I, I think that's a great comfort. And it's just having that, I suppose the confidence to just say to God, okay, I'm going to move on from here. And there's always going to be hurt. You know, there's always going to be a deep sense of loss and sadness whenever you lose a child. You should never have to, to bury a child. That's what you think, you know, but God has got a reason for it. Um, and their short lives have touched so many people. And uh, I've been able to help other people, at least I think I have, <laughs> that have went through situations that um, I've been able to get alongside them and you know they know that you're real and they know that you've, your faith is real uh, and if your faith can handle something like that then you know that you're you're in good stead so, so just to summarize you've gone over it a little bit there Graham but you had Aaron and Hannah came along for yep. quite a few years and then I've actually got the audio of you breaking the news to them that they were going to be brothers and sisters <laughs> So I'll, I'll add that on at the end of the podcast for people to enjoy, but the, yeah, the that was a clip, that one. <laughs> <laughs> but the, just the shock that you know all these years later you were going to be parents again and they were going to have a sibling, and as you say you've now got two others you've got Jason and you've got Noah, so plans for any more in the future or is that is that your last <laughs> grandchildren mother? <laughs> <laughs> but what was quite nice is even the little Jason who's now three. Uh, he knows who Nathan and Samuel are. I know that although he never uh, got to meet him like him or Hannah either. Um, he'll mention them in conversation, and we quite often go up to the cemetery and uh, you know talk about Nathan and Samuel who are in heaven. And it's just a great comfort. It's a it's a, it's a thing for a child to go up knowing that God's there and heaven is real. And you know, for a child that's not at the age of understanding, you know, God is never going to hold them responsible for you know, what they do with the Lord Jesus. So um, it's, it's, it's an important thing, I think, to for us as a family to keep them very much in our thoughts and, you know, in our conversations and let that be a testimony to our, our own family and to, to those round about. And does it add extra anticipation for when that great reunion occurs? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> You're right, Dan. And even if he wins that, you know, we, we, we lost with miscarriage, you know, they're, they're still living souls. You know, in their uh, 
they'll be in heaven too, you know. So it'll be it'll be a great joy to one day be with them as well. Um, so I was going to finish with uh, a question about your favourite Bible verse, but you've you've ticked that one off the list as well, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you need to get one. Have you got one you want to share, Shirley? I love the verse, Jeremiah 29 and 11, but I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. And that's one that I've always just clung on to, that regardless of what we go through, that God has got a bigger plan for us. And I think no matter how much, you know, we can fight against God and, you know, we don't understand what his ways are and what his plans are, but I think if we can just try and and just keep to heart that God, his plans are for us and they're not to do us any harm. It's just, mm-hmm. and I suppose that's just what I try and cling on to. Well, on that note, I'm just going to thank you both very much for your honesty and for taking part in uh, this first episode of Testimony. Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, then please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.